Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. Buckle up your seatbelt because this is a wild ride. 
nothing but unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. to the Rory Sodder Show. I hope you all are having a good week. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope it was productive, fun, all went accordingly. Hope you had a blast wherever you may be. My audience is all over the United States as well as international, so wherever you are in the world, I hope it's all going very well. Um, I hope it's exciting. I hope, I hope you're happy. Um, we need more peace. We need more happiness. We need more love in the world. There's too much hate. There's too much hate, there's too much violence, there's too much people against each other. Ah, man. But I tell you, um, God, guys, and again, I want to, um, like I do every episode, I want to thank all of my listeners um, for the amazing support. Every episode, we get more and more uh, of an audience, and our ratings grow. And we now have, last episode, last episode we had over... 8,000 people listening live. 
So, I mean, and then, you know, you count that, and then people go back and listen afterwards. So, I mean, that, that's even more people. So, you know, God bless you all. You know, um, it's, it's a, a real honor and a pleasure that I can bring my insight and my knowledge to you, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis, you know, uh, in the, with the political realm and all the great guests we have. I mean, we, we always have great guests. We, we always have a great show. It's always well orchestrated. It's always well put together. Um, and I, and I, I couldn't be more proud of, the, proud of what we're doing. And uh, obviously everybody knows we have a brand-new media site coming out, The Next Gen USA. Again, that's called The Next Gen USA. It's going to be very popular. going to be, be doing very well. Uh, we're going to be uh, doing a lot of different stuff with that. So everybody's going to be uh, very amazed and, uh, and very um, – they're going to enjoy it. They, they, they definitely are. Um, I, I, put a, I put a lot of time and effort and uh, money into it. So, but tonight, I know right now I want to, I want to get my, my co-hosts on the line. Josh, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? How's it going? How's it going, buddy? Uh, soon, Mike Zolo will be joining us as usual, our other co-host. Uh, we have a big show tonight, though. Tonight, today's show, millionaire investor, CEO of a gold mining company, silicon smelter owner, and best-selling author, John B. Coons, will be calling in. Uh, we have lobbyist, best-selling author, and president of Families Against Mandatory Minimums. Kevin Ring will be calling in. Um, and, you know, obviously, as we know, it's been a hectic uh, weekend in the media. A lot's happened, Josh. A lot has happened. Um, I want to get your take real quick, though, Josh, because I have a lot to say. So I want to, you know um, – of just everything that's going on, you know, which I want to start with the, um, with this illegal alien bullshit, the, the, the caravan, the, you know, all these people uh, coming into our country entitled, you know, thinking we owe them something and playing the victim stance when they're separated from their parents. What happens to American kids when they're separated from the, the, their, their parents? What, what happens when an American parent breaks the law? They're separated from their kids. This is no different than these parents crossing the border. They're breaking the law. They're going to be separated from their kids. And there's all this big stir on social media and on, you know, everywhere about from the liberals, from the left, saying how cruel it is, what Trump's doing in his administration. First of all, let's get something fucking straight. Bill Clinton put this into legislation. That, you, guys, you guys need to listen to this. And this is, this is 100% serious. Bill Clinton passed a law in 1996 that separated children from adults illegally entering America, and liberals cheered it on. They did. Obama enforced this same law throughout his entire presidency, and liberals kept cheering it on. But President Trump does it. Holy shit. All hell breaks loose. Liberals get angry. They just want to find one more thing to get mad at Trump about. Yeah, I mean, it's freaking ridiculous, especially most of the pictures that have been circulating are literally from 2014. And like, the Democrats won't even take accountability. Recently. They're all blaming it on Trump. Of I mean, course not. It's so absurd. It, it, it's so, so absurd. As, as well as, you know, I love this story that's been going around about the, the, the 1,500 children that the, uh, you know, the ICE has supposedly lost. They haven't lost yeah. any of these children. These are ones. These are the kids that have been given back to their their illegal parents, 
that are already living right. in the United States and then given a court date to come show back up. And guess what? They change addresses and leave. So when a warrant goes out because they didn't show up for court, the cops go to their house, go to their place of living, and guess what? No one's there because they move because they're trying to evade the police and going to this court date because they know they're going to get shipped out because they're illegal. Common knowledge. I mean, you don't – when you break the law in America, what happens? You go to jail. You go to jail. I mean, you know, why do illegal aliens, second-class citizens, get this sort of special treatment and attention? I mean, the Democrats put them before the American people, and we're supposed to feel bad for these illegal aliens. But what about all the millions of Americans that are in poverty? What about the millions of Americans that are suffering on the streets? What about that issue? Crickets. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the same type of, of thinking of, you know, why everyone's so concerned about, you know, um, hunger issues in Africa. Don't get me wrong, that's a big deal, and we need to solve that. But, um, you know, let's stay home for a minute and fix some things in our own stinking country. I'm so tired of taking care of everyone else except for us. It's, it's, it's getting – I'm getting so tired of – especially when they're spending my tax dollars to go help, exactly. help people – who aren't even yep. b- weren't even born here, or yep. are, are lazy, yep. you know, freeloaders, anchor babies, anchor babies, where they bring them across the border, parents, so they have a some sort of excuse to stay in our country. I'm sick of that shit. Yep, no, I mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous, and the liberal, it's the oldest the liberal trick left in the book. The They've been doing it. Is defending it. Yeah, and the anchor baby thing's the oldest trick in the book. Parents bring their kids across the border in order to have some sort of excuse or justification of why they can stay in the country. I mean, they've been pulling it for years and it's, it's really, it's, I mean, you know, the, all the way from, I mean, you mentioned Clinton, it's been going on. They've been getting away with it for, through Clinton, through Bush, through yep. Obama. Yep. And, you yep. know, you know, and honestly, they're starting, they're still getting away with it here during Trump, but uh, Trump's the first one that's actually starting to try to address the problems. And, you right. know, and then instead of the media talking about him actually addressing the problems, they're talking about legislation that Clinton put through in 96. It's absolutely ridiculous. Let's not forget how they use illegal, how they use minors like, listen to this statistic. Illegal aliens using minors to enter the U.S. increased by 315% since last year. Imagine that. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, yeah, boy, and they I, you know, that, I love school. And it's, it's like a scapegoat. It's kind of, they use it as, as it's, like, it's like ammo. I mean, it, it's basically, it's, it's so... And then they play the victim, the parent, but they're putting their kid in harm's way by, first of all, bringing them across illegally. And I even have a problem with the parents that are living in America that don't encourage themselves or their family or their kids to become legal like everybody else did. Everybody else worked hard to become legal citizens, and we got all these sneaky people that want to come across our border. Do you realize if you go across another country's border, some of them will shoot you in the head. <laughs> yeah. Do you trust Pat? I mean, you know, it's it's the it's the whole chain of they're always trying to find someone who is you know the oh poor you because of the immigration issue, and it goes past just the people coming across the border and their kids and all this crap. 
It goes past that. It goes to – I saw an article today where um, – I don't remember what news source it was, but one of the you know, many liberal fun medias were talking about how some avocado farms – in California, you know, are having trouble finding workers because, you know, of all their all their workers are just all their illegal workers are disappearing. It's like, hey, guess what? Maybe how about you pay someone a decent wage? I have no problem paying a couple, you know, a dollar more for my avocado so that there aren't a bunch of illegals up and down the coast, you know, with with these jobs. I have no problem with you paying an American a fair wage instead of trying to get a cheap wage from these illegals. I can pay my extra dollar for my avocado or my orange or whatever it is. I'm not going to complain about that as long as I know that, you know, people are going to be following the law now. Absolutely. Uh, Our co-host Mike Zolo just called in. Mike Zolo, speak on this issue, please. I know you have a lot of thoughts. Do I have a lot of thoughts? Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, I I said I know you do. (laughs) Uh, No, I know, I know, I know. So here's the first thing. This notion that Trump is like Hitler and these kids are just being, you know, they're 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 in these cages is first of all not true. Animals. <laughs> okay? Yeah, there might be cages somewhere where they like go for a minute or something. But at the end of the day, these are illegal aliens. Their parents put them in dangerous situations. By crossing into the United States border. You know, it's not a simple thing. This is a dangerous thing that they put their kids, uh, you know, in danger. So this notion that Trump is to blame, Trump is trying to end illegal immigration. The biggest, con- the biggest problem our country has right now is illegal immigration. So it is true that Trump has cut down illegal immigration a lot as it already stands. Many of them are here that we have to get deported, but you still have a problem at the border. So what do you expect when parents bring their children across the border into another country illegally? These aren't just, you know, these great, you know, these poor little people that were just, you know, walking by and Trump was like, grab them and throw them in cages. That's, that's not what's going on here. You are entering our country uninvited. You are unwelcome. You are sneaking into our country. Illegal immigration is the biggest problem. These people get into this country, they go on all these government services, they take jobs from Americans, they decrease wages. Many of them, okay, do the wrong thing. They're MS-13, they drive drunk. I urge everybody who's listening to take a look. Uh, I'll give the website later. And it's a list of every American who has lost their life to an illegal alien. The, the, the amount of people that have lost their lives, American citizens, to illegal aliens is unprecedented and it's unacceptable. These illegal aliens drive drunk. They're not supposed to drive, yet they drive. Not only do they drive, they drive drunk. We are dealing with the left that wants to change our country forever. And the media has one job right now, and their job is to push the leftist propaganda and to make people feel bad. Give the sob stories. I read today there was a kid with Down syndrome that got separated from his mom. Okay, so because the kid has an illness, we're just supposed to say, oh, everyone else is going to get punished for sneaking into our country. But since your kid has Down syndrome, we'll give you guys a pass. Come on in and get some food stamps. 
bullshit. I'm sick and tired of the left taking the saddest story. That's probably not even true. And even if it is, it doesn't matter. The law is the law. Donald Trump is the only president, the only politician. Real quick, Mike, we have somebody on the line. Thank you for calling in the Rory Sauter Show. Who am I speaking with? This is Kevin. Kevin Ring. Kevin Ring, our special guest. I want to welcome you to the show, Kevin. Uh, Lobbyist, best-selling author, and president against uh, a fam, a families against mandatory minimums. And he does a lot of different work in D.C. He's a very popular guy. Um, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Kevin, you know, you're uh, paying attention to what's going on at the border. We were just basically, that was our opening topic. I mean, it's a big issue right now, and, uh, sure. you know, it's causing a lot of problems. <laughs> yes, I understood. It's it's pretty controversial, and everybody's up in arms about it. Hey, Kevin, I want to get to you right away, but Mike Zolo, I want you to finish your thought real quick. Or... Yeah, absolutely. So, the bottom line for me is I, I just – I guess people have a bigger heart than me. I really don't care that for a little while children are going to be separated from their illegal parents, okay, from their parents that tried to commit a crime, which is to enter the United States uninvited, unwelcome. Trump's zero-tolerance immigration policy is outstanding. No, it's not, a, it's not the nice thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Guess what? You think all these illegals are hearing what's going on in Mexico, and you think their first thought is, oh, man, we got to try to get into America now. Hell no. This is, going, this is going to deter illegal immigration. It's going to scare people coming here. And that's what Donald Trump's point is. That's what his goal is. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump must have a Congress, a Republican Congress, that helps him build the wall and chain migration, and the diversity lottery visa. Um, and if, you know, speaking of legal immigration, my opinion is legal immigration should be halted for a little while till we get things under control. But if he wants to go continue with legal immigration, he already said it must be mandatory that they know English before they come here. There needs to be many things done to fix illegal immigration. So Trump's doing everything he can as one man. But this Congress needs to move their asses and start building this wall because illegal immigration, and especially in my state, it's invaded with illegal aliens. And I'm sick and tired of politicians, especially on the, on the left, however, on the right as well, worrying about illegal aliens and putting them before American citizens and, and veterans and hardworking, just regular American people. So Trump's doing the right thing. The media is lying about it. They're trying to get people to feel bad, to pressure President Trump to change his action. He's going to hold the fort down. He's going to do what he has to do. But Congress needs to move their asses and get some, you know, get some things done on immigration. Trump can't do everything by himself. But everyone's freaking out about these cages and the kids just catapult them all back to Mexico. Stay in Mexico. And that's the best thing that can happen. And I think this will deter uh, illegal immigration. So Trump's doing the right thing. He just needs some help with this pathetic Congress to get some stuff done on illegal immigration. Well said. Well said. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, Kevin, I want you, um, you know, you've been on the show before. You, you were a great guest the last time. You're doing a lot of great things, um, including, you know, uh, working on, you know, legislation and different uh, sort of um, ventures that 
basically prevent people from doing long jail sentences for petty crimes, for minimal minimal things? Uh, well, usually drug offenses. Um, you know, some are petty and small. Some are, you know, bigger or what some people would uh, consider bigger. I mean, they may be sellers, but a lot of times it's they're selling to afford their own addictions. Um, and in any case, whether it's a less serious or more serious offender, our organization just stands for the idea that people should be treated as individuals. You want judges and courts to consider all the facts and circumstances of a crime that somebody commits, no matter what type of crime that is, and to give a punishment that's appropriate for that individual. And a lot of times what we see with one-size-fits-all sentences, they're drafted by politicians years in advance. They get applied in situations where they were never intended. A perfect example of that is, you know, take the most the crime that would bother people the most, say, some sort of child pornography offense, and then you realize, you know, 10 years later that they're applying it to an 18-year-old high school senior who's trading dirty pictures with his 16-year-old girlfriend, and now he's facing 10 years in jail for a production of child pornography. That's not what was intended. But so our view is that Congress should make laws, prosecutors should prosecute, judges should judge, and give individualized sentences. I, I like I, I like that, and I think that is um, in, in many ways uh, proper with what you're doing. And, and you know, there, there's so like let, look at it at an example. Uh, the woman that Trump just pardoned that was what doing like 20 years in jail or something or 30 years that Kim How Kardashian helped with. Yeah, she had yeah, a lifetime. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, but the, she's want, she's there's millions of examples like her in our country, and it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and I think people, you know, she was another one who, you know, a lot of people didn't know all the facts of her case, but she was a more serious dealer. She was involved in a larger scale operation, but a life sentence. I mean, you know, no one would have right. said the woman did deserve serious time. But a life sentence, right. we didn't need that grandmother to die in prison to make us safer or to deter others from selling drugs. And so, yeah, no, it was a smart move. The president got credit, which he deserved. And you know, now he says he's interested in doing more, so I hope he does. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, please tell everybody a little bit about your background and, you know, tell everybody what you're currently working on. I know you have a lot of stuff, you, you know, you're doing um, – you have different things that your uh, projects that you have upcoming, and you have a book as well. Uh, yeah, I have a book called uh, Scalia's Court, um, a legacy of landmark opinions and dissents about Justice Scalia's opinions while he was on the Supreme Court, um, sort of a greatest hits collection. Families Against Mandatory Minimums, the organization that I run, uh, is involved in federal and state reform of sentencing and prison laws, um, in the same way that we want one size, we don't want one size fits all prison sentences. We also want prisoners while they're in prison to get, you know, mental health treatment, drug and alcohol abuse treatment, uh, counseling, job training, things that will help them um, get back on their feet when they get out, so they're less likely to reoffend and we're all safer. Um, so we're pushing for those policies in the states. So. You know, I mean, yeah, this, there's a lot going on. Um, obviously, right now, you may have heard about this. In addition to the commutation that he gave to Alice Johnson um, for her drug offense, the president also recently had 
a summit at the White House, a prison reform summit. Um, I was there um, for that where he you know, announced that he wanted to sign legislation to reform federal prisons, which are in desperate need of reform. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. Excellent. Yeah, you were there with uh, Van Jones and Jared Kushner, right, when they did the prison reform. Uh, yes. Yeah, it was uh, he had a few members of the cabinet. Attorney General Sessions was there. Um, Secretary Costa, Secretary of Labor, and Secretary of Awesome Education. Uh, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas and now Energy Secretary, was there. He is an example of a conservative leader who reformed his state's criminal justice system, saved billions of dollars, um, saved them from having to build more prisons, but then also cut their crime rate. So he showed that you can sort of be a little more cost-effective and fiscally conservative and reduce crime. And Texas is held up as a model now for the federal government to follow. So he made that pitch at the event. And Mike Pence and, uh, you know, of course, Trump were there. And um, it was a great event. And you had formerly incarcerated people there. You had advocates. You had government officials. And so the House has passed prison reform, and they're waiting for the Senate to act. And there's disagreement, and it's not clear it's going to make it. But the president's support is obviously helpful. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I want to get my co-host's thoughts, because I know, Zolo, you know, you, you you know, you have some thoughts on prison reform. You and I have talked about this. I I think you have, you know, certain things you believe in, certain things you don't about it. Uh, Yeah, um, absolutely. So my thing is, look, I, I, uh, at the end of the day, I know there's thousands of people um, in prison in America that, you know, don't need to be serving, you know, as long of a sentence that they are. Okay. I, I get that. But let me just give you a quick example. I used to do uh, heroin and all that stuff. I, I'm four years clean and all that. But my problem, well, it's not a problem with you, however, it's just, is personal responsibility. So for example, I had a kid who I was growing up with and he always got in trouble And then when we started doing drugs, he started selling drugs. He got arrested three times. So he went to jail twice, okay? He got out about two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. And he just got arrested this year again, and now now he's going away for eight years for selling um, uh, opiates again. So somebody like this, I don't feel – and I hate to say it because he's my friend, but his whole life he's just – He's just a bad, a bad person. So somebody like that, there's a lot of people that just, this is what, you know, I'm not saying people don't need help. I'm just saying there's a certain group of people like this kid who's my friend who's just doesn't want to learn. He doesn't want to do the right thing. And this is going to be his life. I will, I will bet you everything that I own that when he gets out in seven years of his good behavior, I guess, um, he'll go right back in in a couple more years because that's been his whole life. So I, I appreciate what you're doing and saying, and there are people like Alex Johnson who deserve to be out. But at the same time, when it comes to heroin and drugs and drug dealing, I'm a, I'm a pretty hardliner. I'm not sure how your feelings are on it. But people like um, that I was just explaining with my friend. How old is your friend? Who uh, he's 29. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I won't pretend to know him better than you do. I mean, one thing that the science shows with criminal behavior is a lot of people age out. So, you know, 18 to 25 are usually your crime-committing years, especially violent crime. But people tend to age out, and some people don't get the lesson until later in life. 
there are definitely people, you know, who may be, and your friend may be one of them, who just never can get back on the right track. And I understand that. I, I, I don't think everyone is savable. Some people are so broken for lots of reasons. They may have mental health problems or abuse problems, sure. whatever it is. I don't know. So I don't sure. want to act as if everyone is savable. But but I think um, you want to have a system that allows you to differentiate between those people. And, you know, you want to be able to, you know, provide treatment, give people a second chance if they're worthy of it, if they work to rebuild it themselves. And, yeah, you're going to have people who fail. So I don't want to sound Pollyannish about it and think that, you know, there's not people out there who just seem who like they just never learn their lesson. But a lot of times people do need to get their butt kicked a couple times. They need longer prison terms, and after they do that, they grow out of it. Now that may not be the case for your friend, but so I, I don't want to. I you know, so I, we're probably not that far apart as, as it, it may seem. No, no, fair enough. That was a great answer. It's just, it's just I don't I. And I'm not saying you were implying this stuff. It's just I don't want to make it seem like, you know, because there is a section of people that commit crimes that are just perhaps forever, whatever reason, just bad people. So I know what you're focusing is on is, is, you know, people that are good people but may have, you know, made bad choices and they deserve second chance and all that. And I understand that. I just don't want to make – I just want to make sure it doesn't, you know, you know, prison reform and stuff doesn't get to the point where it's – a little ridiculously too helpful because at the end of the day, many people, you know, you know, people need to to better themselves. So I I respect what you're doing and I agree with it. I just wanted to just put my opinion on a little bit. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Josh, go ahead. uh, I know you, I know you want to go ahead. For sure. Hey, I had a quick question. So a lot of this seems like it has more to do with, um, you know, the, the ability of people being able to go to prison or, or not go to prison, but instead of them just sitting around, it's about them getting help to where when they do get out, uh, hopefully they turn into somebody unlike, you know, um, Mike's friend that goes right back to it, someone where we're, we're basically where we're trying to make these people into the upstanding citizens that we'd like them to be. Yeah, for some people... You know, people say, you know, the best way to help them reenter is to never let them go in. And some people should be diverted from going to prison if their crime or if their drug offense, whatever, is the product of addiction. Prison's really not going to be a great solution for them. And so, I, I mean, I actually do think if, if it is mostly from drugs, you want to avoid that. But otherwise, yeah, the prison reform I'm talking about is definitely somebody who's being held accountable. So they're serving a sentence. And the only question is, are we just going to warehouse them and have them sit on a shelf for, you know, three, five, ten years and, you know, not get better, not treat their addiction, not teach them any job skills? Because when they're sitting there, you know, the job markets change, their families move on, a lot happens. And so, you know, if, if this person just sits idle for ten years in a really antisocial environment and comes out, they have almost no chance of succeeding at that point. And I don't want to blame society for that person's mistakes, but we're crazy to think you're going to get any other result than people reoffending over and over again. So, yeah, for people who can't be diverted, who need to go to prison, and there's a lot of people who do need to be held accountable, and even drug addicts sometimes need to just go detox and learn their lesson and grow out of their problem, the question is more about what are we going to do while they're there. And even President Trump you know, his thing is he's all about jobs, and his 
you know, the feature that I think he likes the most about prison reform is just making sure that when these people get out, they can get jobs. Because if people get jobs within the first year of their release, they're a lot less likely to reoffend. Now, uh, real, if you don't mind, I kind of had a follow up to that. Yeah. So there's, I know that there's some people that kind of think of prison as like a a conference, a big conference for you know for criminals to base each other the different ways to you know do crimes better. Um, yeah. what, I mean, how? I, I guess what would you say to those people that think that prison is basically worthless and it's you know encouraging crime, you know, let alone instead of you know um, diminishing it. Well, I think there's some truth to that, and that's a problem that I think is going to require a bigger solution, that people go away. I mean, race relations are a perfect example of that. I mean, people who may have no, you know, not a racist bone in their body, they may go to a maximum security facility or one tougher facility, and they're immediately told to join with, you know, a gang. You'll have the Aryan Nation, or you'll have the Crips, or, you know, and it's, it's not their life at all, but all of a sudden now that they're in prison, they've got to start making these hard choices. And so prison can be much, much worse and make people, um, you know, a lot more violent or more likely to, you know, screw up when they come out. And so that is another reason we need prison reform. Um, but, you know, th- that that's going to take people caring about what happens to people in prison. I'm afraid that right now most people don't care. I think they think unless a prisoner's in there, you know, breaking rocks all day with no air conditioning and, you know, getting no food, that, you know, they're living the high life. And it's really not smart. I mean, 60 Minutes and others have done some shows about, if you look at some other countries, the way they handle this, and I know we don't always like to look at how other countries do stuff, but if you let people keep a little more of their outside life inside, so the problem is when you go to prison, you know, you got meals provided for you. You're not paying bills. You don't have responsibilities. You don't have to get the kids to practice or, you know, to the band concert. You don't have any responsibility. You're just, you know, you get infantilized while you're sitting there. And so then they come out and they're, you know, they're less, um, you know, prepared to to handle responsibility. So I think there's a lot of things we could do to make prisons better that the public would have to understand. We're not doing it, you know, to coddle the prisoner. We're doing it so they become less likely to reoffend. And and let's... You know, let's face it, um, Kevin, you know, a lot of these prisons and and the way the justice system works, a lot of it's about the money, you know, even if they give somebody a terrible, you know, case and totally, you know, ruin somebody's, you know, somebody's life and sends them to prison for something so petty. I mean, and and as well, you know, there's so I mean, it's so much things that need to be fixed and restructured and and just revitalized. I mean, there's so um, – it's so crooked, the justice system, in so many ways. And, you know, I, I've heard so many stories, and I've, I've read a lot of stories, and I know people that work in the justice system. And here's the, here's the thing I want to ask you, though, and you make a really good point, and you're addressing a really important issue because – People that have issues, especially, you know, addiction issues, stuff like that, uh, you're absolutely right. It is better to give them a chance and, and let them go to rehab or treatment to improve themselves and then be a positive member to society rather than rather than lock them up for several years. I mean, you know, I, I think that's a, a very good 
a point, and I think that needs to be used more in, in a court of law. I mean, not every state uh, does that. I mean, there's some of them that do that give the re like basically like a slap on the wrist. A wrist. They'll they'll let you go to rehab instead of prison. But the next time you mess up, you go to prison. Yeah. But apparently that that that's how that's how it works in a lot of states. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those things. I was the statistic wise, people that are released from prison. Uh, you know, with these kind of charges, what is the success rate? Do you have, do you study that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's actually really, it's really bad. There's a difference between the federal prisoners and state prisoners. The federal reoffense rate is somewhere around 40%, and the state is higher. The states are like, I mean, not, not, I mean, the individual states have different rates, but overall, the last study is like two thirds are going to reoffend within. I think it's like five years. Yeah, that's my problem. Wow, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Now, the problem Whoa. with that, there's there's a lot of things that go into that, right? So part of that yeah. reoffending is uh, probation violations. So it's not necessarily yes. that they committed another crime. Um, yeah. The other thing is that can sometimes include rearrest. That doesn't mean they went back to jail at all. That just means they got arrested for something that they might have got cleared. Who knows? I, I still agree that's yeah. not a good thing. Um, and the right. third thing is, and this gets hard to explain statistically, but when you look at a number like that, they're measuring that. At, they're taking a snapshot. They're looking at one cohort of people and saying, you know, how many of these people reoffended. But it's not that two out of every three who goes into prison is going to commit another offense. It's just when you're looking at the prison population at a given time, you have a lot of people there who have offended more than once. So the number is skewed. But no matter how you look at it, the reoffense rate is really high. And, you know, yeah. we can say it's because these are inherently bad people who are never going to learn their lesson. Or we can right. say – you know, there's a system here that does nothing for you, and going to prison actually is criminogenic. It makes you more likely to offend if, once you go to prison, or it's some combination, or it depends on the person. And so are we going to spend the time and resources to try to figure out how we do better than that? Or are we just going to say, boy, given those numbers, we should just keep people there longer? Yeah, you make, you make, a, you make a good point. Um, I do want to bring up something. And, Josh, you know, I love when you – I think it's funny, and I think, you know, you you have somewhat of a point, and I agree with you in certain aspects. Oh, goodness. Your, your, whole, your whole policy and, and thoughts on legalizing drugs, and then I want Kevin Ring to respond and uh, how he feels about it. And then I, I, I love when Zolo responds. I love it. So let's do this. <laughs> I, I, well, you got to throw me under the bus again? My goodness. Uh, <laughs> all right, so – Basically, here's I come in very libertarian when it comes to, when it comes to drugs. I think that, right. uh, it would be better if all drugs were legal. So the the joke that I make is it would you know basically you right. could go buy a heroin or meth down at your local gas station. So the 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 problems in my opinion that this would call, cause or you know the cause effect of this would it would fix would you wouldn't be sending a bunch of people to jail uh, for drug related crimes because it wouldn't be legal. Uh, second off, you wouldn't have to have uh, problems with, you know, drugs coming over the borders um, and whatnot, as well as instead of getting money from um, people being incarcerated, 
and that's not helping society, you would um, you would be able to get money from ta- the taxation of selling of of the drugs, just like tobacco, just like alcohol, as well as um, you know the you you basically you wouldn't be you wouldn't be ruining you wouldn't be ruining people's lives by you know incarcerating them for wanting to get high. Now, obviously, it sounds a little bit ridiculous of being able to go get you know your drug of choice down at your local marathon gas station. Um, but I, I, know, I wonder what you would think about that. All right. Who's up next? Me? Uh, can yeah, I Kevin, the real yeah, quick? Kevin. Real... All right. Go ahead. Yeah, go I want to hear what the fight is internally. Go ahead. Uh, all right. So, um, first of all, uh, Josh, uh, I like you, but that's absurd. Okay. That's fucking <laughs> insane. Um, but here's the problem. <laughs> So here's the problem. Unless those drugs are going to be, um, as you say, legal, uh, unless those drugs, meaning heroin, uh, crystal meth, um, crack cocaine, uh, if those are legal, you're, the government would be selling them or, or stores, you say, the gas stations would be selling them, correct? Sure. It would become privatized, just like you know, alcohol, you know, oh, cigarettes. All right. So it's not free, correct? No, absolutely not. Okay. So when a drug addict is addicted to heroin like I was, <laughs> do you, do you right. think I'm not going to rob anyone now because <laughs> I don't have to go to a thug on the street? Well, to to be fair, Mike, I, I do think that people still rob for alcohol. They rob to get some more nicotine. Well, well, mean, well, wait, hold I, on. I don't, hold I don't think – wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Let me. Okay, you made your. Okay, okay. So, so you say people still rob. Okay. So, who would you think would do more robberies, a heroin addict or an alcoholic? I mean, you are both. You and I are both going to agree it's going to be the heroin addict, but I think the argument is still somewhat valid. Okay. I, all right. Fine. But my point is this: heroin. You're talking about addicts. You're not okay. Alcohol, by the way. Yes, it's bad. Some people abuse it, and they're alcoholics. From my experience, I never met one person who shoots up heroin once a week, as some people drink beer once a week. You know, some people drink beer on the weekends, go out with friends and get drunk, but they don't drink for the rest of the week. Then you have alcoholics. I understand that. However, when you're speaking of heroin, crack cocaine, crystal meth, these are things that people don't do on the weekends. You might start off doing you know, cocaine once in a while. But at the end of the day, if you're doing heroin, my friend, you're doing it every single day. And what comes with doing heroin every single day is money. You have to wake up and you have to manipulate. You have to scavenge. You have to do anything you can to get $5. That $5 is now gone. Now you need 20 okay, for the rest of the day. So now you're going to have a bunch of addicts, okay, that – Instead of going to a thug on the street, they're going to the Exxon, but the Exxon is not giving it to them for free. So they still have to plot for money. You're going to have thousands of addicts still acting the same, still scheming for money, still doing robberies, breaking into people's homes at night. You know, you might, it might not sound like it happens, but it happens all the time. Drug addicts run out of money because they eventually lose their jobs, and then – if you're in their way, they will rob from you. They will steal from you. I have a friend, another friend, who got 10 years in prison because he put a knife 
and this is the nicest guy in the world, by the way. Uh, when I heard what happened, I read it. I read it on the internet. When I heard what happened, I, I said, "This has to be a joke." He put a knife to a taxi driver's uh, the back of his. He was sitting behind him, and he put it to his neck while he was sitting behind him, and he got ten years for terroristic threats. Okay, he wasn't going to do anything. How do I know? What if the guy? What if the guy punched him in the face, and then it got into a brawl? So my point is, drug addicts are still going to have to get that money. And that's going to be the same problem as it is now. That's my point. Alcohol, you can at least – there are a big majority of people who drink who at least do it on the weekends or they do it twice a week. No one, bro – I mean, look, maybe once in a while you'll find someone who does cocaine once in a while. But when it comes to meth and heroin, these people are doing it every day, and they are not rich. And if they are rich, they will run out of that money soon. So what's next? They're going to have to rob and steal just like I did. So that's my point. Kevin, go ahead. And, respond and, to this, Kevin. Yeah, go ahead. Go, okay, oh, Zolo, well, so... You, you, Zolo, you had something quick to say? No, no, that was Josh. That, yeah, that was me. I, I, I just wanted to say that it, the only... The, uh, Zolo, I agree with everything you said, and, I, you know, like, literally everything. You're absolutely right. The only thing I would differ on is that, you know, or not differ, but say on top of that is the only problem I have is that people still, like... Even though it's illegal right now, the heroin use and meth use are still going straight up. Like the, it's, it's, the uses is still going up. The laws against it aren't fixing the problem. So my idea would be if you made everything legal, eventually the, the quote-unquote free market would be able to you know, fix this issue if it did and if it didn't. But all I know is that the government as of right now with the laws it has is not doing uh, you know, is not fixing the problem. And that's my biggest thing is that how do we fix the yeah. problem? Cause you and I both agree that people doing heroin and meth is not a good idea. Like, you know, I haven't even freaking vape. Like that's like, that's how far away from any, all this stuff. Like, I don't drink coffee. Like I don't want any drugs. So, Ke- Kev- um, you Kevin. Know, yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Josh, I want Kevin to respond real quick. Cause Kevin's only on for a certain amount of time. Yeah. I would say I'm going to ruin this, but I'm in between you two on this. Um, so I, this is not FAM's position. FAM has no position on the legalization of drugs. But, you know, before I would have said I'm totally against legalization, I still worry about, you know, what that would mean and, and what would happen. But I do I've, – I've heard good arguments more recently about what legalization, why it might be more effective. First of all, I do think it's fair to say that – when something's illegal and you restrict its quantity, you drive up the price. And what that means is you definitely empower gangs, drug cartels, and things like that by making a black market. And if you legalize it, regulate it, and tax it, and do you know a bunch of other stuff, and treat people who have addictions, you know, and treat it as a public health issue. It's hard to argue it could get worse than it is now. I mean, we don't know that. And I do fear it, but I, I you know, it's not so obvious to me that's the that's the thing because look at cigarette smoking. I mean, it's at an all-time low. Teen smoking is at an all-time low. You know, it's legal. We just they just don't do it because people know the public health consequences of it. Um, so it's it's hard for me because I think I think it's such a great leap. I think the idea of heroin like something especially like heroin and now you got cart fentanyl and you know which is like an elephant tranquilizer the idea that could be legal and recreational that seems like a bomb 
seems like that's so inherently dangerous we wouldn't let anybody do that, even in a libertarian world. On the other hand, government prohibition has never seemed to work in any of these things. I mean, right now we're fighting mandatory minimums to drug sentencing laws at the federal level. And the federal prosecutors say, gosh, we can't uh, reduce these laws right now. We're in the middle of an opioid overdose epidemic. And I say to them, that's my point. You've had these laws in place for 30 years. How are we having an overdose epidemic right now on your watch with the strictest drug laws in the world? I mean, how can that be happening? So I just don't think prohibition is really working. I also think, you know, I don't know what your position is on guns, but it's the same type of thing. I mean, you know, you make something illegal, people are still going to get it. So I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm torn on it. I'd be nervous about raising a kid in a world where hard drugs were legal, but I think it still then would be on me to make sure that they didn't use it the same way I make sure that they don't smoke or use alcohol or other drugs right now. Just to be clear, I just want to say something. I'm not, I'm not saying – yeah, yeah, just to be clear, I'm not saying the government is, is, is doing a good job at fixing it. It's the government, everything the government touches – it burns, okay? I, I'm not for the. I don't think the government's doing a good job at, um, you know, fixing the opioid crisis. However, what I'm saying is, I live that lifestyle, and I'm telling you from experience, if you legalize heroin, I'm just telling you, if I was still a heroin addict, all of a sudden it's legal, the prices go up. Too bad. I'm still going to use it. I promise you, I'm not going to stop because the prices went up. I'm just going to steal more and. Um, more. So that's just my only point. You're still going to have addicts g- needing money, and, and people are still going to use it. This notion that you can get it at Exxon now, and it's going to be a little more money, so now you're going to stop. Uh, it, I just don't buy it. I've lived that lifestyle. And uh, so I just want to say, I'm not, I don't think the government is doing a good job So with the laws. It's, it's not fixing it. So I, just, I wasn't advocating that they were. So I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, but I mean, why did you stop? Uh, I stopped because I decided that um, after I ended up in the hospital, uh, well, actually, the day I got out of the hospital, I got high. So that's a lie. But I did get How long did you do it? Zolo, Zolo, how long did you do it for, Mike? Uh, Four years. But I'm saying the law had nothing to do with you stopping, I guess is my point. And so you can imagine no, a world no, in not, which people, the people don't do it be, not because it's legal or illegal, because they know it's incredibly dangerous. And so, you know, you can still go buy airplane glue right now, and you could sniff that if that were your thing. And so that's what I wonder about. I mean, because it seems like drug prohibition is becoming like whack-a-mole, where it's like you have marijuana, and I have synthetic marijuana, and then they change the drug chemicals just a little bit so that they can sell something else. It seems like if people want to get a fix, they're going to get it. And so I agree, I agree so with that. Enforcement is not, is not necessarily working, but, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not certain about that position. I just No, but real quick, I'm not, I agree with what you just said, and I stopped on my own. The government didn't help me, and I don't think it's the government's job per se. However, the only reason I can't sit here, I can't sit here and say, I think that everything would be good and dandy if we legalized that stuff. I just can't say that. I've seen what people do to get that money to get that drug. I'm not saying I'm not saying somebody who shoots heroin should go to, should go to jail for 10 years. I'm not saying that either. 
I'm just saying that if you legalize it, you still have to pay for it. Addicts still have to pay for it. And I say this to every single person. I say this to every single person I talk to uh, about with this issue. I did heroin for four years on opiates. I never met one person, and I went through a lot of people. I never met one person who shot heroin once in a while. Every single one of them was a full-blown addict or on their way. That is why I differentiate it just a little with alcohol. Alcohol still destroys lives. It still kills people in drunk driving. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying alcohol, at least there's a big majority that do it, and they're not alcoholics. I don't know what what that number is, but there's a number. There is nobody that is shooting heroin in America today that does it once every Friday, as somebody would say, alcohol. That is my only differentiation between the well, the, the two. Well, one thing that I, I think, I mean, I've talked to some criminologists who say that, you know, our alcohol policy makes no sense because, I mean, the, the number one cause of crime, the drug that causes more crime than the other is alcohol. You have domestic violence, you have DUI, you have all sorts of violent crimes, rape, so many things that is driven by alcohol. It's not even close uh, compared to other drugs. Um, And yet we leave that completely legal. Um, We tax that at a certain rate. And so I'm not not arguing for prohibition again, but, I mean, this is definitely not as many people. I agree with you. You can use alcohol moderately in a way that you couldn't probably with heroin the rest. But if we were working at, looking at this from a purely crime perspective and how to reduce crime, alcohol would be something we would treat much differently. Again, I, and I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Alcohol gets people very, very drunk out of their, their right minds, and they do crazy shit. And you're right about sure that. Does. The only, like the, the only differentiation, that differentiation um, between the two that I see is, for example, my mother can have a glass of wine whenever the hell she wants, and she'll be fine. However, my father, if you give him a sip of alcohol, he'll be drunk till next month. So that's the – I don't know. I have never met one person. I've been doing drugs 10 years of my life, four years of the very, very hardcore heroin. Never met somebody who's like, hey, man, you want to hang out next Sunday, just shoot a couple bags of heroin? It just doesn't happen. These are addicts. If you're using heroin, you're using it every day. So that's just – that's how I'm looking at it. So because again, like I live the lifestyle. So it's a good talk, and I agree with most of what you said, by the way. So it's, you know, it's all. And, and Kevin, I want to Kevin, I want to wrap it up because I know you got we, we you know yeah. time's limited, and I know you got to run shortly. Um, <clears throat> real quick though, just you know, two, about two minutes left. Um, but your your thoughts on the legalization of marijuana? I mean, you're all for <clears throat> President Trump giving it back to the states, aren't you? Yes, I think absolutely. You know, regardless of, 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 I mean, again, Sam doesn't take a position on drug legalization, but oh, I mean, it's a complete waste of federal resources. The idea that we have an FBI and we have a government that's supposed right. to be tracking ISIS and all the things right. that they're supposed to be doing. And alcohol, that we would, you know, and that marijuana doesn't kill people. Alcohol kills people, and alcohol is legal. Why the hell isn't marijuana legal? I mean, there's no scientific evidence saying that marijuana has ever killed anybody. Yeah, I'll say this again. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to talk up marijuana either because, I mean, the science on what it does to like a high school brain used over and over again is not fantastic right. either. I, 
I think use it before you're 18. <laughs> yeah, I just think legalization folks, you know, have sort of read too many of their own press releases about, you know, this thing, you know, cures cancer and AIDS and all these other, you know, it's like, uh, it's it's not ideal for people to use it over and over again. Having said right. that, you're right. Compared to alcohol, you know, it, it's it, it's it's hard to understand why one is a class, you know, Schedule A right. drug, and one right. is, uh, you know, legal. Right. And uh, real quick, about thirty thirty about thirty seconds left. I want to ask you your quick opinion on the illegal alien situation at the border. I mean, you're a law guy. You're doing law stuff in D.C. What do you think? I think it's a total mess, and I don't think it's easy. And I think the people who think, you know, what Trump's doing is absolutely crazy, um, and there's people comparing this to Hitler and all the rest, um, you know, I think I think that's a way of moral preening and, and virtue signaling without really getting at what's a very difficult problem. And I think some of the people who are criticizing should just – say they like they want open borders that they don't want any policy that stops anybody from coming over at any time because once once you admit that i mean if you don't want that then you have yep. to make really hard decisions about what's happening with people who are bringing kids over and and what right. to do with them and how to discourage that so you know i think it's really complicated i understand why people don't like the optics of how it is right now i don't yep. like it as a father but it's a complicated issue, and I think people are just acting as if it's really easy and Trump is just, you know, some monster, but right. it's not easy. And let's not forget that Bill Clinton was the one that put signed this law, and liberals never had a problem with it, and Obama uh, still uh, enforced the same law, and liberals cheered it on, never complained about it, but all of a sudden Trump has it, and never, all hell breaks loose. It's just ridiculous. You know what I mean. But... But yeah, but Kevin, well, I want to Kevin, I want to I want to thank you, man, for coming on. It, it's been a real sure. honor having you. We'll, we'll have you back on soon, uh, Kevin. If you want to okay. promote anything, feel feel free right now. Um, no, just if people want to learn more about, you know, policy, website, I mean, the fight over prison reform or sentencing reform, come to our website, fam f a m m dot org. And your book too. Tell everybody about your book where they can find your book. Yeah, uh, anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Scalia's Court, writings of the, I mean, uh, a legacy of landmark decisions, opinions and dissents by uh, Kevin Ring. It's at, yeah, everywhere you can find books. Kev, uh, thank you, Kevin, for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. Kevin Ring, Kevin Ring, everybody, and uh, very popular guy. He's been doing very well. Um, and, Kevin, real quick. You've been interviewed on a lot of different channels. I saw you on Fox News a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was on Fox News talking about, uh, you know, another person who I'm, we're hopeful that President Trump will uh, commute his sentence. So, yeah, a lot, there's just been a lot going on in these issue areas lately. All right, everybody, look for look for Kevin Ring. He's a popular guy. He's doing good things, and he's making it happen. Thanks for having me. And uh, he's, a, he's a friend of the show, and we'll talk to you soon, Kevin. Take care. All right, take care. All right, bye. I want to welcome my next guest, uh, millionaire, investor, CEO of a gold mining company, a silicon smelter owner, and a best-selling author, John D. Coons. Is that how I pronounce it? Coons, like like raccoon. That's good. Perfect. Sir, it is an honor to have you on the show. 
Uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have a novel of a resume. Very impressive. Very, um, uh, I mean, there's so much here. I mean, I want you, you know, to tell everybody about yourself. Start with your story. Definitely talk about the gold mine you own off off the South Pacific on an island. I mean, what, what a story. How incredible. Sure, I, I I could start and your, there. And, and real quick, real quick, I read that you've you know you've built several huge companies. So I mean, you've done so many different things. Well, um, yeah. Let, let, let me just start with the gold mine. Um, I I manage a gold mining and a gold dealing business on an island called Bougainville, which is in the South Pacific. Uh, Bougainville is a very interesting place. Uh, it was home from 1972 to 1989 of the largest gold and copper mine in the world, a mine called the Panguna Mine, which was shut down after 17 years by internal strife between the mine company and the islanders. And there was no mining there for 30-plus years until... Uh, yours truly was invited to Bougainville to get the first mechanical mining license that they've issued since since that Panguna mine. And the other interesting thing about Bougainville, and by the way, uh, that that Panguna mine was owned by one of the largest uh, gold companies in the world, Rio Tinto. And Rio Tinto's estimates, which are all a matter of public record, are that uh, Bougainville sitting on about $150 billion worth, that's not million, billion dollars worth of gold, copper, and silver. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about Bougainville is currently they're part of uh, Papua New Guinea, but they have the right to vote on their independence next year, and they undoubtedly will choose to become independent. So, the reason I'm there is a combination of there's a lot of uh, very attractive uh, mineral resources there, and maybe I can also play a role in uh, this this new country's uh, independence. And and uh, you know I'm, I'm working with the Islanders now to do that. So before I went to Bougainville, I did uh, uh, set up several companies around. Uh, the world. Uh, the company I did right before Bougainville was called uh, China Hydroelectric Corporation. Uh, it, it was the largest privately owned power company in China. Uh, I went there and started it myself in 2006, and it was obviously in the hydroelectric business, and we developed and, and built and owned and operated 27 hydroelectric station, so this is all clean, renewable power in, in a very smelly, dirty place, namely China, and we listed that company on the New York Stock Exchange. So so I've done a lot of things like that. My first company, just to give you an idea, I started when I was 31 years old. Uh, it was called Catalyst Energy. Catalyst Energy was the first so-called independent power company in the United States. I came up with that name. It's it's basically a term that means you're not a regulated utility. You just develop a power plant like a real estate developer develops a piece of property, and then you sell the electricity on a wholesale basis to a, 
a regulated utility. And Catalyst Energy, according to Inc. Magazine, was the fastest-growing company in the United States from 1982 to 1987. Uh, we grew to about a billion dollars of assets, and we also listed that company on the New York Stock Exchange. So, so over time, I went from doing business in the United States to more to places further afield <laughs> because the opportunities were typically um, better overseas and. And um, that's that's one of the reasons I found myself in in Southeast Asia, where I've spent a lot of time. Wow, wow, that's Jesus Christ. So, and you know, the gold mining company, uh, you've been doing this for how long exactly? Uh, I've been there for three years. I mean, just to give you an idea, it's not something one can delegate. So, in in 2017, the year we just went through, I lived on the island for about eight and a half months. So, wow. so it's 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 really, I mean, I'll be honest, it, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It, Bougainville's very primitive. I mean, there, there's 300,000 people on the island. No, nobody wears shoes. There's no hotels. There's very little electricity. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a very primitive Stone Age place, but there's $150 billion of mineral resources, most of it gold and copper, in, in, in the ground there. And it's a, it's a pretty fertile place. I mean, you can pan for gold in in any river on the island. I mean, I'm not saying wow. you're going to make a fortune, but it's, it's truly Treasure Island. So now, location-wise, how... Uh... Give me like a main place it's the closest to, like somewhere that is known. Okay, well, um, to get to Bougainville, you've got to fly through Port Moresby, which is the capital of Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea used to be a territory of Australia, so it's oh, wow. it's on New Guinea Island, directly north of Australia, and until '75. It was a territory of Australia, and then it became an independent country. Now, for anyone listening, I'm just going to, before I say anything more, I want to carefully advise any of your listeners, I'm not recommending that anybody go to Papua New Guinea. It's it's certainly a beautiful place, and there's all kinds yeah. of anthropologists there and naturalists and horticulturalists, but it's a very dangerous place and i don't mean dangerous because of like horned and wild animals i mean dangerous because there's there's a lot of people who will do whatever they need to get your money whatever it, it's Mugging. you got to be very Mugging. careful there a lot of robberies oh my god yeah i mean you know this is where nelson rockefeller's son was killed back in the 60s you yeah. know and, and everybody Basically, uh, the consensus is he was he was eaten by cannibals. So, and and I'm not saying that there's cannibals active there now, but there are places in Papua New Guinea that are extremely primitive. Jesus Christ, these stories are um, wow. <laughs> um, now, you know, so this is in a lot of ways this is third world. Oh, 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 this is this is as third world as it gets. I mean, it's 
you know, look, I've been all around the world. I, 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 I don't think I've ever been in a, in a wilder place than Papua New Guinea. Bougainville is currently part of Papua New Guinea, but it's, it's 800 miles off in the South Pacific on, on an island. Bougainville is, is, is a much more benign place, but no, no. I mean, you're, you're talking about, I would say, that corner of the world, New Guinea Island, which, you know, New Guinea Island is, is just like Hispaniola, which has Dominican Republic on the right and Haiti on the left. New Guinea Island has Indonesia on the left and Papua New Guinea on the right. And you're talking about a mountainous, wild place that, you know, is still populated by very primitive peoples. Jesus. Wow. So, yeah, so so you stayed there. I mean, what was it like? You said you, you stayed, you, know, you, have, yeah. you have a place there? Yeah, well, well B- Bougainville is, again, it's part of Papua New Guinea, but it's an island. It's It's offshore. It's much more yeah. benign. But Bougainvillians are right. are very nice people. Uh, they're highly yeah. religious. Uh, right. People will walk ten miles to church one way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're 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 fairly literate because the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church are are very prominent there. Um, so the the people there are very different than the so-called Highlanders in the right. mountain reaches of Papua New Guinea. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Hey, if you don't, if you don't uh, mind, I had a quick question. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. So I was wondering, so you say that there's about 300,000 people on the island and the fact that you can yeah. literally pan for gold if you wanted to, are the, for the most part of the people not aware of their surroundings of what's, you know, the valuable gold that's all around them basically, or, or Good I mean, is no one really interested in it? Are there are there locals who are you know mining for gold or trying to pan for it? You know that's a that's a great question. Let, let me give you a little perspective. First of all, when Rio Tinto got control of the mining rights on Bougainville, and this was all the way back in the 1960s when Bougainville again was part of the territory of Papua New Guinea, which was in turn a territory of Australia. Essentially, Rio Tinto got a law passed that said nobody could take any mineral resources out of the land because all those resources belonged to Rio Tinto. Okay? And so so essentially the natives on the island never really thought about, you know, panning, in other words with hands and pants. So until about two thousand the economy was totally based on coconuts and cocoa. Bougainville has some of the world's top cocoa for, for chocolate. I, can, I, I know cocoa buyers who will tell you they don't mix the Bougainville cocoa beans with other cocoa. That they, they leave it separate because it's such high quality. But, but basically, until about 2000, it was an agricultural economy. Then... Slowly, people looked around and they said, well, wait a minute, Rio Tinto's gone. Uh, You know, the gold is here. We all know it's here because they operated the mine from 72 to 89. Let's start with our our hands and pans panning for gold. And and today, 
panning for gold on the island is is the number one cash crop in so many words. However, your question actually kind of implied more than that, and it's a good question in that for whatever reason I can tell you there's not a booming economy that is developed on Bougainville where these Bougainvillians have, you know, let's say knocked themselves out, panned a lot of gold, bought a an excavator, started mechanizing. None of that has happened for whatever reason. So it's still in a very primitive stage, and, and only yeah. a few guys like me have gotten mining licenses to go to the next stage, if you will. Very, very impressive. And, and you're also a silicon smelter owner. Correct? Yeah, uh, I I, uh, I own the largest uh, silicon smelter in China. Uh, it was part of uh, the assets owned by my fund, which was called China Hand Fund. And this silicon smelter was right down on the border of uh, Burma and China, a very interesting part of the world. The province, if, if you ever get a chance to go to China, the real scenic part of China, the, the the part you see on the cover of National Geographic where all those tiered rice paddies go, run up to the sky and everything, that is Yunnan province. It's in the south, far southwest corner of China and hard up against the Burma border. So that's right where the Burmese, the Burma road was and still is, parts of it. And uh, I own the silicon smelter, which was only about 10 miles north of Burma. Now, if you're going to, what, first of all, what is a silicon smelter? It's basically a, a, a large heat vessel where you melt quartz into silicon. And, and that process is, is actually a pretty simple one. Uh, the name of uh, quartz, the, the elemental name is silica, or SI. And if you melt quartz at a high enough temperature, about 2,000 degrees, and you mix it at that temperature with a carbon, of course, carbon is C, instead of SI, you get SIC. SIC is silicon. And silicon, of course, we all know, is used to make uh, semiconductor materials and photovoltaic cells. And that's what my business did there. And what is interesting is um, something happened in that business that caused me to write my third novel about this. And, and um, basically, uh, the novel is called South of the Clouds. It's, it's being published next month by Post Hill Press. And I'll, I'll tell you what, what led to me writing this novel. Um, in, in, in order to smelt silicon, as I said, first of all, you need to quarry quartz. So there's lots of quarries down in southern Yunnan province that have high-quality quartz. And then you need to melt it in this furnace and mix it with this charcoal. Well, there's not a lot of hardwood left in China because the, the place has been ravaged, okay? But there's tons of hardwood right over the line in Burma. And so my smelter had permitted trucks, big, huge dump trucks. I mean, 40 feet long, 15 feet wide, 20 feet high. That had we had we had about 100 of them. We had a, a fleet permitted 
to go over the border into Burma and pick up charcoal. And one day, uh, I, one day, uh, I was looking out into the inventory yard, and some guys had come back with a big load of charcoal, and they had dumped it out in this kind of little mini mountain behind the dump truck. And I noticed there's three or four of these guys wading up to the top of the pile and pulling these canvas bags, which were all obviously completely covered with black and charcoal, off the top of the pile. And I said to one of the people I was with, hey, what are those guys doing? And somebody looked out there and, and said, oh, well, you know, they're, they're smuggling. I said, what, what do you mean they're smuggling? They're, they're using my trucks. What, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, well, you know, what they do is they go down to Burma to get the charcoal, but before they get the charcoal, they get a load of jade. And then they put the jade in the bottom of the truck, cover it up with charcoal, and run it over the Chinese border, and they sell it into Hong Kong. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for doing that. I can get into that if you're interested. But essentially, that's where I got the the idea to write the story. So, so the story is about a guy named Jack Davis, uh, right. who, who I use as my protagonist in all of my novels. This is my third one. And uh, Jack Davis is a down-and-out private equity investor who who's uh, kind of consigned to the scrap heap of his, of his uh, once thriving empire, which is a silicon smelter in the southwestern corner of China, and, and it's what happens to him. So, so that's what the book's about. But, yeah, I did own and Very operate nice. that smelter down there, and that's, that's kind of you know what Mr. Davis does in the book as well. So, yeah, so that's, I want to come back to all your stuff, I know, and I, I want to talk a lot about you as well, and I, I'm going to keep you on the show for the rest of the show. We still have, like, but we still have a while left. Um, but I do want to get into, you know, some of the main topics, uh, some of the sure. big things that are going on. You're a conservative guy. You're a Trump guy. Um, you and I talked earlier. Um, uh, but I do, I, I know everybody wants to get in the main headlines. I know earlier Zolo and Josh we were talking about, the illegal aliens and the um, the border and what's going on down there. I do want to get into some other major headlines, though. Um, this, there's some big stuff going on, so I'm I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, sure. Let's do this. Sure. Alrighty, let me. So, what I what struck me today, what I, what everybody's talking about is Peter Stork escorted out of the FBI building. Zolo, Josh, I know, obviously, I know you guys knew about that. Um, John, I'm sure you knew about that as well. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. a huge thing. Uh, Andrew yeah. McCabe is probably, is looking probably to face charges. James Comey is now under investigation. I mean, this is all coming out. I mean, this is huge. This is a huge firestorm. How Peter Strzok is still was still working at the FBI up to this point is um, not anymore. Disgusting. No, no. I, I mean that he was even still working there till today is right. disgusting. This guy should have been right. fired after the text messages. How he had one day even to work at the FBI after finding out that 
he was leading. By the way, he was leading. He was the top lead on the Clinton investigation and the yeah. Rush, the Trump uh, investigation. Yet his text messages so absolute bias towards the president. Let, let, uh, let, not let only Wait, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. I was saying what's even more uh, scary is his bias wasn't only towards President Trump. It was uh, actually towards Trump supporters, too. So that's the part that's the most irritating and scary. Exactly. So true. Look, at, Listen to Gowdy. Gowdy grills uh, the whole IG report and, I mean, just how disgusting it was, how, how the FBI totally ran it. Uh, so, I mean, it was as I mean, it's so ridiculous and absurd. I mean, they, they, the, the FBI, the people they had working in there, uh, it's disgraceful. But Gowdy, uh, one, two. As we read this report, we're reminded of Jim Comey's decision to hold the July 5th press conference and appropriate the charging decision away from the prosecutors. We see Jim Comey drafting an exoneration memo before important witnesses, like the target, were even interviewed. Ironically, this inspector general has been accused of softening or watering down his report when the reality is it was Jim Comey who softened and watered down his press release announcing no charges against Secretary Clinton. We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding which DOJ policies to follow and which to ignore. We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding whether there is sufficient evidence to support each and every element of an offense. We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding whether to send a letter to Congress in the throes of a looming election. Now, his justification for this is that he did not have confidence in the objectivity of Attorney General Loretta Lynch, whether it was her asking him to refer to this case as a matter rather than an investigation or her meeting with Bill Clinton while Hillary Clinton was under investigation or the matter he has alluded to but claims he cannot discuss publicly, clearly Jim Comey had lost confidence in the DOJ to handle the case in a way worthy of public trust. But that leads us to the one thing we did not see Jim Comey do, which was take any steps to spur the appointment of special counsel in the Hillary Clinton investigation. When he lost confidence in the Trump Justice Department, he memorialized private conversations, he leaked them, and he admitted he did so to spur the appointment of special counsel because he didn't trust the career prosecutors at the Department of Justice. When he lost confidence in the Obama Justice Department, he didn't make special memos. He didn't share them with his law professor friends. He didn't leak the information. He didn't lift a finger to get special prosecutors. Instead, he appointed himself FBI director, attorney general, special counsel, lead investigator, and the general arbiter of what is good and right in the world, according to him. And one of the last times I spoke with Director Comey was in a committee hearing. We had a pointed exchange on what I thought was the FBI making decisions based in part on politics. And he, in his typically sanctimonious way, told me that he disagreed. He said the men and women of the FBI do not, quote, give a hoot about politics. Unfortunately, and I use that word intentionally, unfortunately, he was dead wrong. There were agents and attorneys at the FBI who gave a lot more than a hoot about politics. There's Andy McCabe, the former deputy director and acting director of the FBI, an agency which investigates and charges others for making false statements himself accused of making false statements and showing a lack of candor. I think I recall 
perhaps someone can correct me, but I think I recall some of my Democrat colleagues falling over themselves to offer a job to Andy McCabe when he was let go for making false statements and for a lack of candor. But those same colleagues apparently weren't hiring. They didn't have any openings when others in a related investigation called Russia were charged with the same offense. There were FBI agents and attorneys who decided to prejudge the outcome of the Hillary Clinton case before the investigation ended. I want you to let that sink in for a second. They prejudged the outcome of the Hillary Clinton investigation before the investigation ended, and these exact same FBI agents and attorneys prejudged the outcome of the Russia investigation before it even began. If prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it ends and prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it begins is not evidence of outcome-determinative bias for the life of me, I don't know what would be. That is textbook bias. It is quite literally the definition of bias, allowing something other than the facts to determine your decision. These agents were calling her president before she was even interviewed. They were calling for the end of the Trump campaign before the investigation even began. They were calling for impeachment simply because he happened to be elected. That is bias. And with all due respect, it's the FBI's job, not mine, to prove that bias can ever be harmless. Because I don't agree. I think bias is always There you go, guys. There you have it. I mean, Gowdy uh, nailed it perfectly. I mean, this whole IG report. And and real quick, I want to play a quick clip of Trump. Um, and Trump's right. Uh, this was Trump the, the other day. Basically, he's exonerated from this whole IG report. It was a total scam all along, and he says it right here. 2-4. Uh, two, two, Mr. President, there was a Fox News report this week that uh, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is pushing back and threatening to investigate the congressional investigators who just want documents. Do you think that that is appropriate? Well, I hope that's not so, and I know they're getting documents. And I purposely, look, if you see what I've done with North Korea and with the State Department, Mike Pompeo, it's running so well. It's, I have this running so well. I have purposely, because of this ridiculous witch hunt, I have said I'm going to stay away from the Justice Department until it's completed. So I've wanted to stay away. Now, that doesn't mean I have to, because I don't have to. I can get involved. But I don't want you people to say that I'm interfering, uh, that I'm doing anything. I think that the uh, report yesterday, maybe more importantly than anything, it totally exonerates me. Uh, there was no collusion. There was no obstruction. And if you read the report, you'll see that. What you're, what, what you're really, excuse me, wait, wait, wait. What you'll really see is you'll see bias against me and millions and tens of millions of my followers. That is really a disgrace. And yet, if you, and yet, if you look at the FBI, and you went in and you pulled the FBI, the real FBI. Those guys love me, and I love them. Are you thinking about Mueller? Are you thinking? No, but I think I think that whole investigation now is is look. The problem with the Mueller investigation is everybody's got massive conflicts. You have Weissman was at Hillary Clinton's funeral, meaning her party that turned into a funeral. And they were screaming and crying. They were going crazy. How can you have people like this? So you have, I call them the 13 angry Democrats. You have a tremendous animosity. Now, here's the good news. 
I did nothing wrong. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. The IG report yesterday went a long way to show that. And I think that the Mueller investigation has been totally discredited. So there you have it, guys. I mean, he, he makes the he makes the, a perfect point. Um, Zolo, I'll let you speak on this real quick, and then I want to get uh, John and uh, Josh's thoughts. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot going on right now, and everything that's coming out is just more and more proof that the deep state, meaning James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, all these people are the ones in the wrong. They're the ones that are the bad people. Donald Trump did not do anything. The IG report does nothing but destroy James Comey. By the way, when I say I keep I have to say this every time, it's not only that the Obama because Obama's behind all of this, but apparently, you know, it's hard to get to him. But Obama weaponized the FBI, the DOJ, to prevent Donald Trump from being president. And it's not only that these people hate the president. They hate his supporters. That's what, If you read these text messages between these FBI yep. agents, and I don't mean the rank-and-file FBI agents. I mean the people at the top who are in on these investigations. They hate us. They hate Trump supporters. They even call us uh, retarded and pieces of shit. Excuse my language, but that's what they said, not me. But that's that's unprecedented. How can you have? And and you, by the way, Mueller. Zolo. Mueller. Zolo. You yeah, know you ahead. can use, you know you know you can use any word on this network. I mean, there's no censor. Use whatever word you, you feel, man. If you have to swear, swear. Go ahead. No, I know. I was just being uh, uh, kind because there's a guest. That's all. Um, so <laughs> another thing with um, Peter Strzok, by the way, is. I think it's disgusting that he worked at the FBI even after those text messages. I know he uh, is apparently gone today, but it's disgusting that he was there all this time. And every single person on Mueller's team, every single one, is a friggin' Hillary Clinton donor or a, or a high Democrat or, or a high-level Democrat that absolutely de- hates Donald Trump. How can an investigation like that be looked into the person they hate. It's absolute political bias. Mueller's investigation yep. is a waste of money and it needs to stop. Donald Trump has a massive cloud above his head. How can the guy be president with all this this stuff going on? It's amazing how he's getting things done with all this going on. But at the end of the he's day, per- I think we're going to actually see indictments. I think we're going to see people going to jail. I don't know how long and I don't know how many people. But I promise you... James Comey yeah. and Andrew McCabe are in serious, serious trouble. And yep. Peter Strzok, well, too, of, because Peter Strzok, go ahead. As of, as of today, James Comey is under investigation. There's a report yep. out. Andrew McCabe is most likely to face charges. We all know what happened to Peter Strzok. He was escorted out of the FBI. So you can only imagine what's going to happen to him next. Um, so you get all these people. Uh, that are, uh, you know, at, in, a, in a bad place in terms of uh, what's going to happen to their future. But, Rory, Rory, and what I'm saying is Mueller is a disgrace. How can he have yep. Hillary – how can he have Peter Strzok, who was that yep. lead investigator of Hillary's investigation, when he clearly is a Hillary Clinton supporter and a nutty Democrat, how can you have him – on the Russia investigation. How the hell can you do that? Mueller didn't and know. And I know. It, was biased. It, BS. Oh, 
Bullshit. Of course. I mean, the, the bias is all there. And, and the fact that President Trump, you know, I question why President Trump hasn't interfered at times and basically shut this whole thing down. Because at the end of the day, he has the authority yeah. to. I mean, I know that there'll be liberal outrage and there'll be media outrage, but, uh, you know, it, it may have to be done if the witch hunt keeps getting more and more ridiculous. Well, actually, um, I agree with you. I think even Trump Giuliani, even Giuliani, Giuliani is recommending that Mueller suspends the investigation because uh, it's ridiculous. Giuliani, uh, you know, and we all know how smart Giuliani is. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. He's Trump's one of, one of Trump's attorneys and uh, one right. of the, probably the best mayor, probably the best mayor to ever live. Um, one of them at least. But you know, uh, he wants Mueller to end the investigation. There's nothing there. Well. Well, just to be clear, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I do think Trump should end the investigation, uh, the, the Mueller investigation. However, I think the only reason Trump is not doing that is not because he's worried about the liberal outrage. However, right. I believe he's worried about the Republican outrage because Republicans have said that they will – Lindsey Graham literally said he'll push for impeachment if Trump fires Mueller. That doesn't mean – I'm not saying that Trump would get impeached. I'm just saying that right. Trump doesn't want to deal with that right now. So yeah, I'm sure Trump has a plan, but I think that's what he's thinking about instead of the left's outrage. But by the way, yeah, and you know, say what we will about Lindsey Graham. You know, I know he can be two-faced, but he has said some good things about the president lately, and he's stuck on the president's side lately. So I will give him some credit, but I'm not his big. I'm not his biggest fan. No, no, no. Lindsey Graham has been good with Trump on North Korea and some other stuff, but he's been absolutely disastrous and abysmal on trade, illegal immigration, and the Mueller investigation. He's absolutely liberal and out of his right. mind on all right. three of those topics. <laughs> right, which, which, is, uh, which is odd. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, John, go ahead. You, you know, I guess what, what I would say is if I was Mr. Trump, uh, I wouldn't end anything right now because it looks to me like things are going his way. Um, yeah. I, I think he's going to end up being exonerated. And I think some of these guys are, like you you point out, in, in serious trouble. I mean, I guess what I would say, look, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, I'm yeah. not I'm not and tell familiar everybody with... you went to school, you, you went to Yale with George W. Bush. You were in the same class as him. No, no, I, I went to Harvard Business School with George W. Bush, and I went to Georgetown with Bill Clinton, okay? But, <laughs> but and, and anyway, uh, you know, growing up in Washington, what, what, you, what you see is the absolute smugness of people who, who have been ensconced in power. In other words, Senior officials and, and real, in places. Real, real quick, John, just to correct yeah. the listeners, uh, Washington D.C. I just don't want listeners getting mixed oh. up with Washington State. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, Washington D.C. The home, the home of the federal yeah. government, or, or some people yeah. are saying like the swamp. Yeah. Um, right. You know, essentially, the, the people in these strong regulatory situations. They lose track of who they are. They they lose track of what they do, who they work for, what their rights are, what other people's rights are, and and I think you know that's that's Potomac fever. 
senators get it, congressmen get it, but people in the FBI and the IRS and the Customs Department get it too. And I, I think that's what you've got here, and, and it's going to play itself out. But if I was Mr. Trump, I'd let it play itself out because it looks like it's going his way. Yeah. I mean, it, it cause he has nothing to hide. My only concern right. is they're going to make up something to, to bring on him. Uh, but John, yeah, I, I, I hear you, but you, you know what? Oh, oh, go, um, go ahead, John. I, I, I kind of think, I mean, look, who, who the hell knows? But what I think is if that was going to happen, my guess is it, it would have already happened. I mean, in other words, you look here, at here's how the people have been. John, John here, real, real quick, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but here's the problem. Yeah, yeah. We, we're seeing Paul Manafort, who just got arrested for yeah. basically a crime he committed 11 years ago, and they're keeping him in prison until his trial in September, and basically n- no bail, and this is all a political setup. They want to get oh, information about Trump, and it, it's absurd. And now, apparently, there's reports out that Michael Cohen is going to agree with agree with prosecutors. Who knows if that's real or not? But you know, we did there. Robert Mueller Mueller is going out. He's going anywhere possible to bury Trump and, and get him out of there. They do not want Trump in there. Um, you, you know, uh, if I were Donald Trump and I was up against Paul Manafort and uh, and, and his lawyer friend there, yeah. I'd like my chances. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, you know, I just, it, it's all happening at a time where it's just odd. And, you know, what, why is Manafort going to jail for the whole summer for some petty oh, they're they're, they're doing not... it for exactly that reason. There's no question yeah. about it. I mean, like that guy, yeah. they're going to fry him otherwise. But I, I'm just, I just really, you know, I think he was if, only with he was only with the Trump campaign uh, less than oh, two for months, a couple months. Paul Manafort. Yeah, couple couple months. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. And um, you know, real quick, Josh, I want your thoughts too. I know you got thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, my thoughts are pretty pretty straightforward. I'm just happy that, you know, the truth is slowly slowly but surely coming out and the naysayers are being proven wrong. Um right. as well as I'm uh I'm glad that uh Trey Gowdy is back to his normal ways of uh speaking the truth instead of being a little edgy like he was, you know, about a month yeah, ago. We were, but, uh, we were love, talking about we were, ta- we were talking about that on the show before. Remember Josh how Gowdy was getting a little soft at one point. Yeah, he was. He was, you know, saying that Trump should uh, act like an innocent man, and I was like, well, you know, he's acting like a president. And he's doing stuff. So I don't know what you want him to say. But I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm like I said, I'm just extremely pleased that you know uh, the truth is coming out and the truth is setting Trump free. Absolutely, and, and Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Real quick clip. He describes the, the Manafort situation perfectly. Uh, one six. Long national nightmare is over, we are happy to report. Paul Manafort is behind bars tonight. The 69-year-old lobbyist was shackled and dragged to prison today on the orders of a federal judge. He will remain behind bars until at least his trial this fall. 
The president tweeted about Manafort's imprisonment earlier today, quote, wow, a tough sentence for Paul Manafort, who's represented Ronald Reagan, Bob Dole, and many other top political people and campaigns, didn't know Manafort was head of the mob. What about Comey and Crooked Hillary and all of the others? Very unfair. That's the president's view. On the other hand, with the dastardly Manafort in a cage, the rest of us can finally relax, unchain the door, let the kids play in the yard, take the first deep breath in decades. It's a new day, America. We're safe. But unfortunately, we do have some bad news to report as well. Paul Manafort's core crime was violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which was passed by Congress for the first time in 1938. It turns out that advancing the interests of a foreign country without first registering with the U.S. government is an enforceable felony. And that means that if standards are going to be equally applied, many of the most prominent people in Washington will soon be headed to jail. Tony Podesta, both Clintons, most of the leadership of Congress in both parties, Jorge Ramos and the entire staff of Univision, all of them take money from foreign interests. All of them advocate for policies whose main beneficiaries are foreign countries. The law on that is now clear. They are headed to the big house, all of them. Best of luck. Manafort has also been accused of trying to influence witnesses in the case against him. That's a very serious charge, and possibly the government will prove it at trial. But as of tonight, Paul Manafort has not been convicted of that or of any crime. In the eyes of the law, he is still innocent, and yet somehow he's sitting in jail. Now, that might be justified if Manafort were a threat to public safety or if anyone seriously considered him a flight risk. But he's in late middle age and has no passport. Where would he flee to exactly? Let's be honest about this. Paul Manafort is in jail tonight because prosecutors want him to testify against the president. They're sweating him. No rubber hoses or truck batteries, but the point is the same. To put it another way, prosecutors want to influence a potential witness in this case. And as yesterday's IG report showed, there's not much in the way of professional ethics to restrain them from doing that, obviously. This is, I mean, this is getting out of hand. And, and here, here's the thing, is that Democrats are all celebrating Paul Manafort going to jail, and they're saying Trump's going down, Trump's going down. I mean, no, no, Trump, no, he's not. I mean, you know, unless something is made up out of Paul Manafort's mouth, you know, everything is everything is fine. But Paul Manafort, um, you know, there's there's nothing to report about Trump. I mean, these it, it is a witch hunt. I mean, Trump describes it perfectly. I mean, I, I, the way you look at this whole thing, it was about Russia collusion at, at first. They didn't find anything, so now they go outside the lines into his personal life, into Trump's personal life, and into other things that have no, that have no relevance to what uh, was originally, uh, sh- you know, uh, supposed to be investigated. So I mean, it's just absurd on every on every level. I mean, you're. I mean, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And it's you know, just to say, just another thing to say, another thing to compare this to. It's the same type of thing that they did to Dinesh D'Souza. They're you know, yeah. they're pinpointing yep. one person and you know, trying yep. to make an example of them. But it always seems that these people are either uh, Republican or conservative that talk too much. Right. Uh, you know. Right. Very, very. You know, it seems like that always seems to be the uh, the case. And you know. You can't you can't help but see the bias that screams at you. Right. And and you know you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And and another example, uh the, the the state of New York 
file files a, a lawsuit against Trump and his family. Just another ridiculous hit piece. I mean, it's, oh, give me it's a all break. a bunch of it's all a bunch of sleaze bags. I mean, it, it's one thing after the other. I mean, they just want to look, make Trump look bad. People are jealous. You know, it, it's, they they know he's draining the swamp. Um, you know, there's, yeah. there's just we, we, there's so much winning. There's so much winning you know, on our side. You know, it's funny. I never thought um, we would criticize somebody who donated and raised ninety million dollars for charity, but of course, since it was Trump, they're going to find a problem with it. It's a joke. Right. Everything the man does is skewed and 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 just lied about by the left and the media is the most and donald trump's right by the way he's he recently just said the media is the number one enemy to the state and he's right the media is just yep. the media is evil the stories they push it's all opinion let, let's, it's all opinions it's like a fictional story fabricated right well, let's face the facts if there wasn't a media, none of these leftists that are pushing their propaganda, for example, right. the, the the attorney general in New York that's that's look yep. that's uh, doing an investigation into Trump's charity, it wouldn't yeah. be such a big deal if the media didn't play it for twelve hours straight and then a week later still be playing it. The media is evil exactly. and they want this president gone. And I I thank God every day that Donald Trump yeah. is president because how long. As a how long how long have we been waiting for a conservative president to just destroy CNN and the fake news media? We've oh, been waiting God, for a it's, long it's, time. It's, every day is Christmas. Every day is Christmas. I mean, it's, right. it literally is Christmas every day. Um, I do want to wrap up this topic, though. We're going to obviously throughout throughout this week on the show, you know, uh, tomorrow and Thursday, we'll be talking a lot about this, more about this IG report. But we do know that Lisa Page and, Sto- and Peter Stork bypassed FBI chain of command to covertly brief McCabe on Hillary probe. So they were doing so many different things behind, uh, you know, the backs. And it's so dirty. Oh, by um, the way, Rory. Yeah. Yeah, you know um, the federal judge that put Paul Manafort in prison was the judge yeah. who cleared Hillary Clinton in the Benghazi trial. The swamp exactly. protects the swamp, my friend. Huh. Yep. And, you know, here's connected. what I really want to get It absolutely is. Unless anybody has any other comments, I want to get to another a huge topic that we talked about earlier, but I still want to continue talking about it. Let's let's skip. Let's move on. Let's get it. Let's get it. Okay. Here here's a huge thing. Um, so we have, you know, Paul Ryan. Uh, Trump has said he will be editing and revising Paul Ryan's amnesty bill that he Paul Ryan's going to be putting on the table uh, either this week or next week. Which I don't think Trump should even go near it, but. At least Trump says he's going to revise it and, you know, edit it. Because if we look at what's going on at the frickin' border, illegal aliens using minors to enter the U.S. increased at 315% since last year. And Paul Amnesty's bill, if you left it the way it was, it would increase the number of anchor babies on welfare. 
Listen to this. Listen to this. Child border crossers have higher standards of living than 13 million impoverished American children, according to a new poll. Jesus Christ. Well, put it this way. Paul Ryan's bill is an absolute total push for amnesty. It'll be, yep. it'll be the legalization and the citizenship for millions of illegal aliens. The reason, however, the reason Donald Trump has to revise and edit it, I do agree that um, he should stay that far the hell away from it, is because yeah. he has no Republicans backing him up. It's like it's almost as if the guy has to work with whatever he gets. You know what I mean? It, like, right. The guy, the guy doesn't have a loyal group of people. He has Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, but there's two people. Okay, he needs right. people in right. the Senate. He needs Paul Ryan in the House. He needs Paul Ryan. Now, here's yeah. the good news. I actually just read about an hour ago, breaking news, that Trump is actually supporting um, Bob Goodlatte's bill, a Republican guy from um, Pennsylvania, I think. Love and that bill. Yeah, that bill is a very good bill. It, it, it builds the wall, no amnesty, and a full end to chain migration, an end to the diversity lottery visa. I think it even um, attempts to uh, defund sanctuary cities, but, of course, that will be blocked by a judge. But it absolutely builds the wall, billions of dollars for the wall. And then also in that bill, it's a requirement. I think legal immigration, by the way, legal immigration um, decreases for five years, which is good. Uh, there's too much illegal immigration right now, so it's overtaking legal immigration. So unfortunately for the people doing it the right way, you're going to have to wait a little longer because we have to get things under control with immigration as a whole. That includes legal immigration. We just have an influx of too many people. It just has to stop for a while so we can figure out how many people are here, you know, things like this. But in that bill, there's a requirement for every single alien that comes to this country legally, legally, they are required to speak English before they get here, get here. So that's yeah. a very good border language and culture. If you don't have it, you don't have a country, my friend. And, and here's what will happen. You know, uh, you know the, tr- the Trump administration, you know, they want to build like a tent city along the border to, to detain immigrants, you know, that are crossing and that are, you know, breaking the law. I mean, it, it's a mess. I mean, and then we, what they want to cry about kids being separated from their families. I mean, what, happened, what happens when an American parent breaks the law? They're separated from their kid. They go to fucking jail. I mean, what's, what's the fuss? I mean, and then we have Americans marching protesters for immigrants, illegal immigrants, to have rights. If you're illegal in this country, you don't have one goddamn right. I'm sorry. But we're not allowed to go into other countries and, and illegally. We'll be killed or jailed or beaten or, you know, it's just our, you know, there's there's so much such a, such a double standard and hypocrisy and ridiculous. Hey, hey, and real quick to touch on, uh, you know, Zolo mentioned Goodlatte. I, I tell you what, Goodlatte is one. I got an opportunity to uh, uh, have a couple meetings with him in D.C. in my time lobbying for the heartbeat bill, and boy, he is a really good dude, really down to earth, and not, you know, not of the swamp. Um, and I think I think if him and Trump are working together on something, that's going to be a big deal because Goodlatte has respect 
from a lot of people in Congress on both sides. I think if I think if Trump and him are able to come to agreement on stuff, that's going to be very good for Trump uh, looking forward. And meanwhile, Barack Hussein Osama, presidential library in Chicago, is going to cost the tax going to cost taxpayers two hundred million dollars. Where's the liberals marching through the streets whining about? They whine about Trump going golfing, but you got Barack Hussein Osama. Uh, doing this to taxpayer dollars and there's crickets, crickets, crickets. Hold on now. Come on now. We all know that liberals like our libraries. Come on now. Jesus, the guy, and he's already getting lawsuits, which I love. The the city of Chicago and certain organizations are suing him because he's taking over certain land that, uh, you know, is somewhat, there's causing controversy. Oh, you know, today there was a, um, a elementary school named after a Confederate soldier that has been changed to, to Barack the Barack Obama. Obama uh, yeah, the Barack Obama uh, elementary school. And I want to say right now, no school, high school, college, middle school, uh, elementary school in America, no school should ever be named after the anti-American Marxist Barack Hussein Obama Muslim. who hates Muslim. America. Barack Hussein Osama, Muslim. <laughs> That's right. Hey, John, Islam, Islam enabler, a, uh... Islam enabler. <laughs> Very true, John. I, mean, I didn't he... know if you had any takes on the the whole, uh, you know. John, go ahead. I want issue. you to say, John, please. Well, you know, I, I look. I'm, I'm not really up on all this stuff. I mean, I, I, I got to be, I got to be honest. I live on an island in the South Pacific. Um, you know, the the only news feed I get that's worth anything is the Wall Street Journal. We all know about the other one that I, I don't read anymore. I mean, they don't even publish my Yankees course. Okay, so are you so, are you over on that island right now? No, no, no. I'm I'm back here. I, I couldn't talk to you if I was, but I'm there. Most of the time, and I mean, you know, for, for for me down there, honestly, this this country's far away, and and what what really I'm much more concerned about is uh, something that probably uh, you guys will be talking about in, in a couple of years, but it, it's actually happening right now and that's you know the the chinese are taking over the south china sea and they're doing that so they can control all the oil coming through from the middle east up through the straits of malacca and they can control who it goes to and in japan and korea and all those other places and and that's you know that's really if you're living on that island in the south pacific that's what that's what you're paying attention to. So I'm not really right. up on the stuff like you guys are. Right. We have, we have, Rory, about, a, we have about a minute. It, it, we have about a minute left in the show. Uh, who said real quick was that you, Zolo? No, that was that was Josh. John, I want to go John, ahead. If you could touch on if you could touch real quick, John, on what the United States could do to kind of remedy that seconds. situation. I know we don't have much time, but it's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, he, here's. Here's what's got to happen. We've got to send the Navy into the the 12-mile limits on those islands. And when the Chinese boats try and cross in front of our boats, we got to ram them, okay? And when the planes get too close to us, 
we got to knock them in the sea, even if it means our guys go down too, so they know they can't push us around. That sounds very simplistic, but that's what's got to happen. And, and here, and John, we're going to have you. We're going to have you back on uh, very soon. Uh, either well, thank you know you. this week. This we'll have you back on this week again or next okay. week. Uh, we we want to talk to you a lot more about your career, about what you're doing, uh, what what you know what you've accomplished in your resume. Uh, it, it it couldn't just be talked about in one episode. We need multiple episodes with you. Well, well, we want to find thank, out a lot thank more. Thank you, Rory, and, and, and guys, I really enjoyed uh, listening to you. Thank. Thanks for your time, and uh, uh, I hope uh, I can get to talk to you uh, again. And, John, please, uh, if you have any uh, shout-outs about your book where people can find you, um, do that real quick. Okay, yeah, the book is called South of the Clouds. It's published by Post Hill Press. It's a novel. It'll be out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every place you want to buy a book. It's, uh, you can get it at the publisher now at Post Hill Press, but you can go on Amazon starting July 17th, and I think you'll like it. it it's, uh, it's an interesting novel, and uh, it's about a part of the world, namely Burma, that's come to prominence uh, more recently, and uh, you'll find Perfect. it interesting. Perfect. And uh, you have a website people can find yet? Yeah, com. Perfect. Everybody, John D. Coons, you're an amazing guest. Uh, we'll have you back on soon. Thank you, Roy. Mike Zolo. Uh, Mike Zolo, you, you got your Twitter plugs. Throw that out real quick. Of course, man. Follow me at Mike Zolo, uh, at Mike underscore Zolo, Z-O-L-L-O, Mike underscore and Zolo. Absolutely. And real quick, Josh. Yeah, honestly, instead of wrapping anything today, um, John, just let you know if you ever need somebody to get your coffee, uh, we gotta go. uh, I'd be willing to take that job. <laughs> yeah, we, okay, okay, perfect. I'll we talk gotta to go. you next time you about it. Go. You guys right. got to go. Thank uh, you, Rory. You, you can visit, okay. Thank you. You can visit my thank store, you guys. the Donald right. J. Trump. You can visit my store, the Donald J. Trump store.com. Again, again, that's the Donald J. Trump store.com. You can also visit RorySodder.tv. You can find me on Twitter, at Sauter Rory. Um, and you can also visit uh, GetYourAppBuilt.com. Again, that's GetYourAppBuilt.com. And we will also be releasing our my new news media site, which is going to be fantastic, um, very soon, called The Next Gen USA. I'm really excited to share it with you. I want to thank all my special guests tonight. I want to thank all of my listeners, all of my co-hosts. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, God bless you all. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. Good night.